Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And we know that to be true, by golly. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker de France here. Yep. And in California, it is Todd Roberts on the phone, along with our guests, Frank and Susan Piazza. So, actually, it's. Did I give a pepperoni piazza? It's it, it, pronounce it again. Tony and Piazza. Piazza. Okay, I had that right. The, the, okay, I can't like get a pepperoni piazza. The <laughs> All right, a fountain by Frank's. Okay, uh, the cell phones are going to be a problem today, I know, but hey, that's the way it works in today's society. Um, we've got a few things to get to before we uh, launch into our interview. Go, go ahead, Bunker. Well, uh, first off, we're going to start with the Cook's Chuck Wagon calendar. Uh, this past uh, Feb- uh, February, boy, I'm <laughs> half a year off. Uh, this past uh, October 12th was Farmer's Day. Hmm. Uh, the 14th in 1893, Lillian Gish was born. Uh, Friday, the 15th, uh, friends of mine, uh, friends of the show, Faith and Jared from the uh, Empire Ranch down south. It was their first anniversary. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, what is it here? Yesterday, yeah, yesterday, no, coming up the 16th, in 1940, Barry Corbin was born. He's a couple of months younger than I am. He's just a kid. And you got to talk with him on uh, uh, the Wake Up Tucson program, didn't yes, you? Yes, I did. I'll get to that right after the last birthday, because it's, it's a birthday that we've observed every year for the last three or four years. He was born in 1928. It's Don Collier. Uh-huh. Yeah, good of Don. Yeah. We miss him. And we miss him a lot. God, I wish he was here. And you need to turn our on, on-air sign on. Oh, yeah. That makes it official. Now, first off, uh, I had the great pleasure of visiting for, for a short while with Barry Corbin on the Wake Up Tucson show. And because I knew my time was short, I wanted I did kind of a little salute mm-hmm. to Barry Corbin from Voices of the West. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to read it the way I wrote it. Sheriff Fenton in Dallas, Uncle Bob in Urban Cowboy, Roscoe Brown in Lonesome Dove. He was Falstaff in Macbeth. Played 15 sheriffs, several generals, some uncles, an astronaut, a basketball coach, patriarchs, Texans, Santa Claus, Lyndon Johnson, but best of all, an always believable cowboy. And he just loved that. That's cool. And I have one little... Uh, more thing to mention on Barry. This uh, next Saturday, that's October the 21st at Shefflin Hall down in Tombstone. There will be an evening with Barry Corbin. That's during the Tombstone, Arizona, Helorada days. Mm -hmm. The doors will open at 5 p.m. Show starts at 6 p.m. General mission is a little steep, but it's worth it, I believe. General mission is $50. VIP seats is $75. Mm -hmm. You can get tickets online at discoverboothill.com or for information, call 520-457-2202. And he does have a movie upcoming called Killer as a Fire Flower Moon, which I'm looking forward to seeing. All right. And also, don't forget all the activities going out at the Mescal movie set. Civil War demonstration coming up. And they're going to be doing a, a Cowboy Christmas uh, next month in November, as well as the other thing happening down at the Empire Ranch, the trail ride, uh, not trail ride, but the... Uh, National Day of the Cow... Well, no, that, no it's, we did that. Yeah, roundup. It's uh, the we, Cowboy we, Festival. Cowboy Festival. We, we know them as the Roundup. But anyway... That's what they used to be. Let's get to the meat of the matter here. Tony and Susan Piazza uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, Tony is a mystery writer, and we're going to get to him in just a few bits. But Susan's background is she's the historical, way, historical one. <laughs> she's way, way interesting here. Her family and ancestry goes back eight generations in Los Angeles. Susan, tell us about that. Well, actually, I, I did my little homework, and it's seven generations. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, who's counting? Well, yeah. But they got there the second so year of, of, of it so being a city, right? 
Are you disappointed? <laughs> no. It, it was a long generation. It was. It was. Yeah. Well, it it uh, started. I think in 1791 when the first ancestor, pardon me, Cornelio Avila came up from Mexico. He was a Spanish soldier, and at that time Spain was expanding California, mm -hmm. and they called Los Angeles the Alta California. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to bring more people up to settle in to start trading. And he came up from Mexico. He lived in the Yucatan area. And with his nine kids on an ox cart, came up all the way through Mexico. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that must have been a fun trip. Yeah. Are, we, are uh, we there yet? Kids. Are we there yet? Yeah, exactly. Are we there yet? I don't know. And, you know, when you think about it, what the pioneers had to go through. Sure. I said, nine kids on an ox cart. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> a squeaky so, ox cart. Yeah, yeah, right. So they got here in 1791 when they started to establish the settlement wow. because the Pueblo then was about a couple of years old, so it was early on. And it wasn't until his he had nine kids, his son Francisco, who was from my mother's branch of the family, he built the Avila Adobe in 1818. <laughs> and that's the oldest structure in, uh, that is in the Los oldest Angeles? In Los Correct. Understanding. Oh, yeah. Also, the home of was it's closed. The building's still there of one of the best Mexican restaurants in all of California, I think. Oh, Condrinas. Condrinas. Well, actually, uh, La Gondrina Cafe, which is across the street, was the Pelagoning House where my great grandmother and my grandmother lived, and now it's the La Gondrina Cafe. So they all lived in that in that old area. It's closed. It was, but the house is in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, it's still there. Yeah, and the they had the big winery warehouse mm -hmm. because my great grandmother Isabella Ramirez married um, Antonio Pelanconi, and then they had four kids, I believe. He also owned the warehouse, which was across the street, because mm -hmm. they owned vineyards. And there was about five Italian wineries that would uh, use that warehouse, and they made wine there and sold it. And They were very lucrative <laughs> in the wine business, because so you, you, the weather that, was great. That that area in Clara Street is next to what used to be known as Little Italy, mm. which is now yes. known as Town. Yeah, in fact, Town was lovely. Interesting. Man, got an echo here, and it's kind of hard to hear. Yeah, that was breaking up. So, Sorry. Yeah, and actually, Alvera Street used to be called Vine Street. That's pretty and heavy. It wasn't. Go ahead. It was in 1930, I think. That's when they named it Alvera Street. That's pretty. They were revitalizing that whole area. That's pretty heavy to, make to have uh, like historical. Yeah, that's that's pretty heavy to have. Um, uh, that much uh, family history, and, and you're you're still in the area. You have to be intensified. Yeah. And, and, and and I mean, I, I I've been able to trace my relatives back as well. But holy mackerel! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, among the first settlers. Do you have, I have any, my do you have any wine left from the first cellar? <laughs> no, we don't. Gosh, my God, my sister would we we drink it already. But my, <laughs> Uh, my sister, I, she's the one I have to thank because she did the family tree on this. Because as kids, you know, you, your parents share stories about your family. Mm -hmm. and, and you say, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. But you really, you know, are they really telling us the truth or are they embellishing the story? And when she went through the family history, she says, Susan, I'm still going. And it's just, it gets deeper and deeper. It's just amazing mm. how much connection you have with the history of is your, just one area. Is your hubby, it, it grows. Is your hubby preparing to write a mystery novel about your family <laughs> in, in the area? He, he might. He, he might. Should, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have so many stories. It just, it, it, like you said, it grows. It's just like when you, you go down one avenue and you find out something else. So, oh, i got to go down here. <laughs> wow. Because it's it's pretty pretty wild. Well, you have, Jesus. you had a couple of relatives who served as the alcalde of Los Angeles. Yes. And uh, Francisco 
did, and I think another brother did. Uh, I'm seeing here Anastasio. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. and, and for those who don't know what Alcalde is all about, it's essentially the mayor. Um, yeah. And, and they're named by whoever the Spanish governor is. Is that correct? Is that how that works? Correct. Okay. Yeah, they would assign, okay, you're going to be the mayor, you know, mm -hmm. take care power. of things. And yeah, lots of power. And power and authority. Oh, yes. Yeah. I know that because I saw all the Zorro him. movies. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. They would come to him to be, and he would be like a judge. He would, mm -hmm. you know, rule to say, okay, because there was always big fights over property lines and water rights and stuff. So, yeah, he had to be there to to figure out things, you know. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, that you, a lot of our knowledge of that period comes from, unfortunately, Zorro movies. But I know that yeah. the landowners, you know, the big rancheros, they they had tons and tons of power. Uh, was there any, to your knowledge, any conflict between the authorities, the, the alcaldes, the, you know, the Pueblo and the countryside? They did have one incident, and it was in about Coenga Pass, mm -hmm. and there was kind of an uprising. And I'm not sure of all the details, but it was involving the alcalde to go down there and try to figure this out because they were ready to go to war. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that's where, some say that that's where the uh, Zorro character came from. He was inspired by this, the history. But, you know, it, it, there was a lot of other history uh, examples where Zorro came from, too. So, I'm, you know, I can't say for a fact it was. You know, Some of it they think you know, they borrow from Joaquin Marietta. And I know that, yeah, that, I, know one, that yeah. I know that the past was also notorious for uh, road agentry. Rob and robberies and stuff, yeah. yeah. It was it was not a safe place to go. <laughs> Still not safe with the traffic. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, except it's all motorized now instead of mule carts and yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, there we go. No traffic, ox carts. Yeah, traffic yeah, jam yeah. with mule carts. Oh, crap. ox carts. Man, oh man. <laughs> Get that, your ox cart out that, of the road. That'll there. that'll start a, a Donnie Burke right fast, I reckon. Mm. No, exactly, exactly. And so the remainder of your ancestors who 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 were not. In the political uh, on the political side, there, do they continue with the winery or, or what? What? what no, did they, do? they they sold that out, and because of all of that area went to the state. Okay. Well, so basically, well, go ahead. they had a family trust, and when the trust ran out, basically, then they sold it to the state. I see. Yeah, and you had some family members who uh, participated in the early days of the silent movies. Can you fill us in on any of them? Because I, I saw about three or four of them that were, were mentioned. Yeah, well, that was from my father's side. Yeah. And his it's his uh, maternal side, his mother, she was from the Cook family. And she had a brother who was John Cook. And he was the black sheep of the family because back then, uh, entertainment, you, you had to entertain in the theater. Well, mm -hmm. That was the proper entertainment. Right. But if you went into films, this was early films, silent films, that was like carnival. You know, that mm -hmm. was oh, taboo. <laughs> so he went into film because he made money. And he actually, my sister did the research. She said she found the payroll uh, sign, and he was one of the extras for the Squaw Man. Wow, that's cool. And yeah, he, cool. yeah I said, whoa, and I think he made what? 20 bucks or something that's and that money. was big money yeah that's a lot of money yeah. and so because they made their own makeup they had to you know do their own you know they didn't have any kind of established studio and their own so wardrobe and cool. everything else yeah yeah exactly you just had to wing it you know try to improvise so he was very good at that which one, I understand, one of your uh, relatives in the picture business was considered the first Latina star in the side. That was, that was Myrtle Gonzalez, and she was my father's first cousin. Hmm. And so it was funny because, you know, when we as kids, we found out we wanted to talk about it, but it was not appropriate because they were in films, and the family no. just shunned them. Wow. Yeah, because see, my grandmother was a concert harpist, okay. and so she was very, very proper. Sure. Okay, we yeah. didn't associate with the film people. That was just taboo. <laughs> Tell us and, more about and, her. You know, 
And my father said, you know, it's family. You know, why can't we invite her for dinner and stuff? No, 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 no. <laughs> wow. And not only that, she smoked. So that was... Oh, you know, well, how man, low you can know. you go? Man, she was a wild woman. That is old country stuff, man. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. You remember and, the, the first silence where a woman smoked on camera? It was like scandalous. Yeah, I imagine so. It was, wow. it was. Well, the, the interesting part about Myrtle, she starred in the movie called The Kiss. And if you've ever seen that is the, spiral, the, the spiral staircase on the opening scene where she's watching the silent film, Dorothy McGuire, mm-hmm. that that scene was Myrtle Gonzalez. Yeah, that's that that is considered one of the landmark early early yeah. early yeah. pieces so she of was silent quite film. Eighteen ninety six. Yeah, but um, unfortunately, she died, I think, in 1918 of the Spanish flu. Hmm. She never got the so second her, her, kiss. <laughs> no, she didn't. Oh, no, poor sad lady, no. <laughs> that, wow. that was uh, quite something, though. Huh. But it was funny. My father wouldn't, you know, you know, and we asked about his, his Uncle Johnny. He goes, oh, yeah, Uncle Johnny. And he was the black sheep of the family. He was a womanizer, and he, he liked to party. He was another one that didn't come to family dinners. <laughs> you mean when he visited, he came Susan, up to the I, I have a feeling that have a feeling that you and my your family and hung out a lot. I, I say that again. It's hard to hear you. Your family, members of your family, and I've been along pretty well. Yes, we do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredible, incredible. All right, we're going to take our first commercial break here. Uh, you know, I, I threw up a heliograph and uh, sent some messages and came back. It came back with uh, Tony Piazza and Susan Piazza as our guests for today. And uh, right here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker DeFrance, and Todd Roberts, we're going to be back talking more with these folks right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. This is Eb Wilkinson at Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you're within 10 to 15 years of retirement and you're putting off retirement planning, my advice to you is don't do that. Ignoring your retirement planning won't make it go away. It'll just make it worse. Give me a call and let's work on your plan together so you can retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. We all make promises. Big and small. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I do solemnly swear to help you when you are in need. To be considerate and caring. To be your loving, faithful friend, partner, child, parent, neighbor. One of our most important commitments is to support our nation's veterans. Learn how you can help a veteran going through a difficult time by visiting maketheconnection.net. Put up your hand. It is Manuel Alonso Valdez who orders it. Comprende? How's this? You have met with the greatest caballero in all the West. Oh, well, that's different. Are you sure this is the West? 
Cracky, I thought I was lost. This is the Voices of the West. Rose of old Santa Fe, I'll soon be on my way. Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Jimmy Wakely trio there, and uh, Rose of Santa Fe. Hey, if you like that kind of music, and who doesn't like that kind of music? They don't uh, belong on our show. <laughs> you can uh, check it out after this program is finished, live streaming, uh, on the Roundup. And you hear that right at VoicesOfTheWest.net. Tons and tons of great old cowboy music, film music and so forth and so on. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts back with you on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, and uh, our guests are Tony and Susan Piazza. Susan's uh, ancestors are, uh, well, they kind of uh, helped settle uh, the Los Angeles area, and uh, the home that was built there uh, is, a large, is the oldest standing structure in Los Angeles at this point, and Tony is a mystery writer. Todd Roberts, where do you want to go? Well, oh, I, these are people that are just really interesting. Um, and, you know, it's a tremendous history, uh, as does Tony's is a little more. Tony's worked on the film. He was also a law officer in San Francisco. And he, I believe, I could be was in Korea or World War II serving the United States. So he's got a long Tony was an actor, worked in film in new respects, and then become an actor and on his 12th mission. And his one is about 1930 motion picture shooting on and star of the film gets kidnapped. So here we go. Right. So, Tom, will you talk about that? All right. Susan, pass the phone over to Tony. <laughs> okay. Does he have his, have have his phone own phone? Ready. All right. Oh, did <laughs> you hear Todd's uh, question? Yeah, well, yeah, I did. It broke up a little bit. I, I thought he mentioned something about fighting in World War II. Actually, yeah. my father fought in World War II okay. in the Army Air Corps. Um, I came a little bit I later said. than that. <laughs> but yeah. in any Tony, case, uh, I said. Okay, but in any case, uh, yeah, I've been um, I've worked in the motion picture company uh, for about ten years in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. and um, my primary job that I worked fairly steady on was the streets of San Francisco with Carl Malden and Michael Douglas. Were you typecast? But I did. A, <laughs> pardon me. Were you typecast because you were a police officer? <laughs> Well, pretty much, yeah. In fact, most of the dramas that were in there were were set, uh, um, you know, as police uh, procedurals or mm-hmm. uh, detective stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, so yeah, I had played I played a police officer in that show, and um, and also um, I worked on Towering Inferno and uh, uh, High Anxiety and a few other feature films as well too. Did you do And actually, prior work? to that, my dad uh, was a liaison as a police officer. He was a real police officer, uh-huh. a liaison in the city of San Francisco, uh, working with the motion picture company. So there was about 10 years that I also got to get under the rope access to a lot of films, including Bullet uh, with Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so it, it was a great experience. And what did I end up doing? Uh, is writing about these experiences later on uh, on the Turner Classic Movie website. Mm-hmm. And uh, in doing that, I, I got a big audience that we're building up, and I thought I wanted to pad out my stories. So I decided I love detective stories. I love the history of Hollywood. So I did a sort of a Philip Marlowe 1930s-type detective story that dealt with Hollywood uh, during that golden era. Mm-hmm. And the fans were, you know, were writing back and saying, why don't you turn this into a book? So I eventually did that, and it was successful. And so from there on in, then I just started writing my series. And so uh, I'm about, well, eight books into it uh, right now. With the same character? The same yes, main with character? the same character. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is Tom Logan, who's um, 
actually, I have one standalone, which is The Curse of the Crimson Dragon, which was uh, more of a spy-type novel. Uh-huh. Uh, but the rest of them are all with Tom Logan, and they could be read separately. Uh, however, there is a, like a little continuing line as far as the characters yeah, are concerned yeah. that the people can follow as well, too. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. So we always have areas that we get to, we grew up with or we were hired with or we had a connection to. So I, I have to believe, to be completely wrong, your dad, some of those looking characters, things that you saw him do or things you heard about over the years years in law enforcement am i on the right track yeah you're correct in that regard in fact um, i had always uh, uh, police personnel and friends and people that were around us all the time and there was a, a homicide detective uh, that uh, well, actually was a neighbor that lived a couple doors down so i learned some things from him and then of course working in the film business we were filming a lot around the hall of justice in san francisco so there were various areas that i got into that other people might not uh you know uh, where they were booking rooms uh, where they did the uh, lineups and of course one i don't think any of us would want to go into too soon but the coroner's office as well do (laughs) well you know I think, but uh, yeah, so that that affects uh, has a lot to do with my writing. Uh, but I'm also an avid reader, and I've been reading since about maybe eight or nine years old, uh-huh. and uh, I've read all genres, uh, including westerns, which I love. What's as well, your favorite? Too. Well, mysteries obviously are because that's mm-hmm. that's the genre that I had selected to do. Uh, but um, again, you know, I enjoyed the westerns since we're we're talking about westerns and stuff, and 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 that was a big influence in my latest book, uh, because I grew up in the late 1950s, early 60s, and that was all the rage on television. So mm-hmm. you know, we had Bonanza and uh, um, a lot of the other shows, uh, Maverick, and those which I really enjoyed. And I had the pleasure, really, of working with a lot of actors that eventually became uh, or uh, cowboy stars, or were cowboy stars, I guess, by the time that I started working with them. But, you know, working with Clint Eastwood and, of course, Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. and Carl was in um, The Hanging Tree, mm-hmm. and uh, we had Tom Selleck as well, too. And then, interestingly enough, um, our producers on the streets of San Francisco, uh, a fellow named Bob Besh, he was involved with the early Lone Ranger serials that came out of Republic. Mm-hmm. And he influenced Dick Gallagher, who was also one of the producers on the show, uh, The Streets of San Francisco. And th- he was involved in uh, The Legend of the Lone Ranger, mm-hmm. which came out later, which unfortunately wasn't too successful. Uh, but Clinton Stillsbury, I think, was the star of that. Yeah, they dubbed him. Yes, and Michael Burpus <laughs> Tonto, of course. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, that he, guy, but that was which character she by, was good. Uh, was directed by Baker, who my father's film. Uh, well, it was beautifully shot, not too successful. Right, Tony. No. no so just as a question, your dad. What did your dad watch? What what did he like? What what things did he find authentic? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I found that my father most of the time would start a program and usually fall asleep halfway through. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I've gotten to that point myself, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I think I would honestly say that probably because he was in World War II, that a lot of times he would watch a lot of war pictures, and especially those that were around that period of time. Uh, having to do with the war and he did want to become a history teacher and he was he was really interested in history but unfortunately you know at the time he well let me back up a little bit he he was a track star in san francisco Mm. and he had gotten um, um, a chance to go to college in san jose state and um, and so um, he just started over there, and that's what he was planning to do. And then the war broke out. Mm-hmm. So he then volunteered in the Army Air Corps and ended up over in the Philippines. And so that was pretty much the end of his uh, career in uh, becoming a history teacher. Mm-hmm. So I think he was he was very interested in, you know, everything to do with that period of time that he was involved in. 
uh, during World War II. So he watched a lot of those films. So, Tony, you have a, uh, a, a memoir called Bullet Points, and it's uh, mm-hmm. behind the scenes uh, look at the making of that classic Steve McQueen movie, Bullet, and uh, your family involved in that as well. So, what, what kind of great stories have you got about Mr. McQueen? Well, I think the one that really sticks out in my mind is actually meeting Steve McQueen for the first time. Um, I remember going to uh, the San Francisco General Hospital, and they were filming a chase, uh, a foot chase, uh, in, in, in the film Bullet. Uh, and um, we were down in the basement, and of course it was really hot under there because they had all of these, uh, all their um, heat, uh, heating elements and stuff that were down there. And um, McQueen came out, and he was dressed in his sweater and everything. And he walked over to me, and um, I think my father introduced me. And he spent a long time, I mean, showing really interest in what I had to say. And he was asking me a lot of questions. And um, I, at the time, I couldn't really figure that out because usually, you know, they most of the stars we ever met, they were more focused in on my, my parents, the adults and everything. But he seemed to spend uh, a lot of time with me. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until afterwards that I learned that he was involved with the Boys Republic in Chino, California. Uh-huh. And uh, it was sort of a rehabilitation for wayward kids. And mm-hmm. at one time he had been in there uh, because yeah. of the fact that he did have a, a you know pretty uh, crazy upbringing. And uh, so he would go from time to time and talk to teenagers and so this was something he was very used to so i guess you know this is why it was that he was able to talk so well with me at that time hmm, that's cool. so that that was very i think really memorable for me and um, i found that he was just a very genuine man he was just very down to earth and when we had wrapped uh, the show uh, or they had wrapped. I wasn't working particularly on that one. But when they had wrapped the show, he had sent a beautiful uh, picnic basket to my father uh, in thanking him for all the work that he had done on the show. Oh, cool. And uh, he was just, just very, very, very gracious. And then when I worked on Towering Inferno, where I did work with him, um, I got to talk with him as well. And he was just as gracious and just as nice as I had remembered him, you know, a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he had invited both my father and my mother down into the trailer, and they sat down and had and visited together This um, later on uh, during the filming of that particular movie. Hmm. So, um, again, it was a great loss, I think, to as far as a human being as yeah. well as to the, the movie world as well, too. All right, we're going to take well, our, our... Hang on, Todd. We've got to do our next commercial break here. Uh, and you can find out more about uh, our guest, Tony Piazza. Visit his website, authortonypiazza.com, and that will get you right to his spot there. In the meantime, we're going to take our next commercial break. You're in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. We'll be right back. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting place courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000 square foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. This is Eb Wilkinson at Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you're within 10 to 15 years of retirement and you're putting off retirement planning, my advice to you is don't do that. Ignoring your retirement planning won't make it go away. It'll just make it worse. Give me a call and let's work on your plan together so you can retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Hi, my name is Roberta Shore, and I play Betsy on The Virginian, and I'd like to invite you all to listen to Voices of the West. 
are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guests are Tony and Susan Piazza. Uh, Tony's a mystery writer and uh, sometime actor. Uh, Susan, her, uh, her big thing is her ancestors who kind of settled Los Angeles. Really, really interesting stuff. And uh, so let's head on back here. Todd Roberts, I interrupted you for the commercial break, so sorry, uh, but go ahead. No, I just, all I was going to say is that our good friend Joe Moonen, who's a friend who was on the show, mm-hmm. also worked on Brain Inferno with her and Steve McQueen, ah. and was there, and we booked him. In fact, I went to us on Thursday. Yeah. Um, so he did great things to Steve uh, McQueen as well. What a, a good person and a good human being, and how gracious he was. I just wanted to add that. I'd love to ask about who told me your latest novel. You had spent time on Pine researching where they shipped westerns in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on. And you went up there and walked, and very, as I said to you, at him, the way Ford did that when he gave novels. Could you talk about that a little Sure, sure, yeah. Um, you know, actually, um, I, when I write stories, I want to make sure that I actually walk the walk that my characters do, because this adds a, a, a great deal more uh, reality to the readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems more believable. Sure. And so, um, in the book before this one, actually, I spent a lot of time up at Hearst's Castle and did a lot of research because that story dealt with a character that was um, murdered uh, in the uh, indoor pool that was there. And of course, uh, Hearst and, and uh, Marion Davies and a lot of those characters are in the story, though the names had been disguised. So I had a lot of history and background on that. Well, in the next one, um, again, I was feeling nostalgic and I was remembering how uh, popular the Westerns were back during the era where I was growing up that I decided, well, I would like to set it there. And of course, the best place to go to uh, is uh, either some of the movie ranches, which I have in the story, uh, like Corganville and Iverson Ranch, where they did a lot of westerns, and then of course eventually up to the Alabama Hills mm-hmm. uh, and Lone Pine and Bishop, all those areas up there. And um, again, uh, in fact, I even found, which I, was sort of cool, off the Tuttle Road, which is up there, we found uh, where William Boyd had his cabin, mm-hmm. and uh, that showed up in a lot of the Hopalong Cassidy mm-hmm. films yep, that were shot. Yep. So all of that sort of historical background I worked into my novel, as well as, of course, the location itself. Like with most Westerns, it's, you know, the, one of the, at least one of the main characters is the scenery, is the setting. Sure. And so that's why I, I think it's important to me to get it right. So the best way to do that is actually to spend time there and uh, soak up all the atmosphere. That certainly makes and, a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and again, you know, in this last novel that I had written, uh, Mystery, uh, the whole idea was that they were filming a Western uh, and it starts off in Los Angeles, uh, and uh, a uh, young movie actress, which I sort of uh, set after Shirley Temple, because when she came of age, they put her in a film called Fort Apache with John mm, Wayne. Great movie. And so I have this character getting kidnapped off the set, and the detective is then hired to more or less try to find out who the kidnapper is or eventually deliver the ransom. Hmm. And I have that ransom being delivered in the Alabama Hills. They have some beautiful arches over there and landmarks that they could use for him to leave mm-hmm. that uh, um, yeah, the ransom money. And, and then, of course, I also brought in the valley because I thought this would be great because we would have a ghost town in there where you can sort of have a high noon kind of shootout yeah. towards the end of the story. <laughs> so I put that in as well, too. But just to give you an example of how things sort of work out, uh, in my uh, research, we went to two or three different ghost towns. And uh, one of them was Rhyolite. Mm-hmm. And so, as I usually do, I go around and I take photographs. I take pictures of the areas to refer to later on. 
And I was really busy taking some pictures when suddenly I hear a rattle. And I look down, and I'm just a few feet from a rattlesnake. <laughs> and this snake is ready to strike. I mean, mm-hmm. it's ready to go. So, of course, I froze up, and I backed off and did what I needed to do. Well, as it turns out, I said, this is great for the novel. So mm-hmm. I actually worked it into my, my story <laughs> as well, too. Who who would you say is your biggest influence uh, in, in mystery writing? Or for for mystery writing? That. Well, too bad. I got to it yeah. first. <laughs> Well, I'm on the bunker. <laughs> I would say I Raymond Chandler. I like I loved the books of Raymond Chandler uh, and uh, the the Philip Marlowe stories mm-hmm. that he had written. Uh, and the Thin Man was another one that I also uh, and a little a little bit of the Thin Man is also in these stories as well too. Um, but um, in any case, those those I would say probably are the most influenced as far as the uh, mysteries that I write. And with with watching movies, do you do you like to watch uh, the old Dick Powell mysteries? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, actually, and also, and uh, well, of course, William uh, also Dick Powell did uh, some Philip Marlowe. Yes, and then William Powell did the Thin Man yes. series. Yes. Uh, which go- is, sort of fits in with the story as well, too. So go- that would be Dashiell Hammett. I, I didn't mention the author, but Dashiell Dash- Hammett would be the other. Dashiell Hammett, yes. Uh, I want to go back to your, your novels for a second. Are they set in the... I know they're set in the old Hollywood. Is that the pre-war Hollywood or the post-war Hollywood? Because, you know, the post-war be- is, is kind of dominated by Dashiell Hammett and the other writers, that you know, the hard-boiled detective guys. Right, right. Yeah, well, actually, the, uh, my stories are set pre-war. They're in the 1930s. Uh, uh, and Hammett, I think, did some stuff in the 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, Raymond Chandler, I think, came out a little bit later. A lot of those detectives were set in the 1940s. So, but again, it's just like anything else. I mean, I throw a little Agatha Christie, too, because I'm very <laughs> concerned about the puzzle that I write. I want a, a good puzzle because, you know, you want the readers to have some fun in trying to determine who done it. So I worked that into my story as well, too. So it's sort of an amalgam of all of those three. Okay, I did, I, uh, I've got to throw a monkey wrench in this thing. <laughs> do you do any Earl Stanley garden hire? Gardener. Garden hose. <laughs> Not so much court uh, courtroom-type uh, stories, um, though he had a lot of detective elements in it as well, too. Uh, it was just interesting. Just recently, we went to Ventura, California, and we were wandering around downtown, and we actually come across one of the buildings that uh, Earl Stanley Gardner had his office in. Hmm. And uh, I was fascinated with that. I took a bunch of pictures and stuff, because I do love I love the Perry Mason series. And, and I did have the pleasure of meeting Raymond Burr when they were doing the oh, film Ironsides. Cool. They had uh, uh, come up yeah, to San Francisco. And I have some home movies uh, where we're all sort of standing around and you see some of the cast from Ironsides. And I shook hands with uh, with Raymond Burr and stuff. So that, it was fun. It's a nice memento to have. He did some westerns as well, Raymond Burr. Oh, he did a bunch of stars. Well, you know, one of, the, one, of the, one of the interesting things about Gardenhire uh, was that he had three or four stenographers in his office, and he would di- be dictating three or four books at the same time. I don't know how anybody can do that. <laughs> he did separate it. Yeah. It's called it's bourbon just, here. Oh, okay. It's called bourbon. Uh, you, you get enough bourbon, you can do that. Uh, uh, I have to ask you, um, you have, uh, you know, you're coming, your, your detective character hero, should we, from different angles, but at the heart of, are you hoping that they're more lucky than they are good? Are you hoping they're more good than they're lucky? Mm. Hmm. You're talking about his personality itself? Yeah, I personality. Was, you were breaking up a little bit. Yeah, the, 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 the end of it. Yeah, I think he was asking his personality. He approaches the case. Yeah. The way he approaches and, and solves mystery, solves the murder, solves the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you like Barnaby Jones? Again, he just guesses at the end. 
Yeah. Again, my detective, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, I had a, I was on a radio show locally with a, another talk show host, and he, he described my character as being a, a pure good guy. In other words, that uh, he was a nice guy, I guess is the way he described it, <laughs> uh, because of the fact that he was always interested uh, in whoever there was a victim that was involved he sort of personally felt maybe responsible because he might not have been there in time i mean he, he has a conscience basically there's and no so, um, there. he, he approaches really his 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 how he approaches his cases again with this uh type of personality in mind where he really feels like he has to solve the case if somebody has been murdered he has to find who that murderer is because he personally feels responsible because of the fact that he had taken on that particular case. That's How kind about, of an old yeah, West characteristic. An archangel. An angel. Yeah. So, any stories about one of our most beloved Western characters, Jack Elam? Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, actually, I do. Uh, in 1967, um, we were able to get a tour of Walt Disney Studios. And, of course, you had to get an invite, and we were able to get through Universal, the uh, fellow named Frenchie, who was the transportation uh, manager at Universal, and he got us an invitation. And so uh, my parents and myself, and there were two other gentlemen, were the only ones on this personalized tour. And they took us through the studios. Well, we went into one of the sound stages, and uh, Jack Elam was there. Uh, they were filming Rascal at the time. And uh, though we sort of, as you say, uh, made eye contact, and he sort of gave me a nod, like, you know, how you doing, sort of thing. And that was probably about the extent of it. But I thought that was pretty cool, you know, especially at, at, uh, as a young age uh, that I got acknowledged as I did. But yeah, um, cool. that was a fun experience. It was a fun experience, too, because a lot of the sets were, you know, they still had a back lot there. So you were able to see where they had filmed Zorro and uh, also a lot of their other ones, like the Absent Money Professor and various other things uh, that was there. And uh, the old animation studio was still there, and we actually sat down with Ken Anderson, uh, who was an animator working on the Aristocats. Hmm. And so uh, he, his assignment was the old lawyer that was in there, so I was able to watch him firsthand how they go about doing the animation. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a fun experience. So when are you going to write something about Susan's ancestors, a, a good old <laughs> Spanish mystery? Are you I trying that- to fight at their <laughs> What do you? Where, what is? Where is this going? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sort of funny. Uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard that so much, and then I've also heard people say, "Well, why don't you make a write a book about my experiences in the film business?" And, uh, you know, because I had plenty of, of blogs out there that I, I either had done for TCM, but I also do for Facebook because I'm on Facebook as well, too. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of those stories we'll as well, too. Out. And, yeah, I think Susan's family would be like a, a Louis L'Amour uh, oh, type yeah. history. You know, it would be fantastic. And I don't know. Uh, one of the things that didn't come out in the, the discussion, actually two two little things. Uh, one of them is, is that her... Uh, would be a, a grandfather. grandfather. Yeah, that her grandfather had met Wyatt Earp. Ooh, yes, yeah, and saw how that came, oh. yeah, and how that came about was, is I guess they were in. Uh, he was in San Francisco, and he was going to be a referee at a uh, uh, at a. Okay, let me finish. Uh, <laughs> you want to tell the story? It's not the big controversial fight, is it? <laughs> We're going back and forth here. Her, her, her grandfather was a, a manager of a saloon, and uh, when Wyatt Earp was there, they were doing a boxing match, and he was going to be the referee. And so oh. a part of the promotion is they were sending him around to the different bars and and, and for the newspaper, and they were taking photographs of, of these uh, managers with yeah. Wyatt Earp. Yeah. And so the family did get a photograph with wider himself and so had met him which was that is because you know he refereed that Fitzsimmons fight that was real controversial very controversial because it was like a quick count or something (laughs) very quick count all right we got to do our next and final commercial break here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West it's Harry Alexander Bunker to France and Todd Roberts with you we are talking with Tony and Susan Piazza Tony's a mystery writer 
Susan's got a great history. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. This is Ev Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management where we manage money for gun owners. When people turn 50, something miraculous happens. They start to get serious about retirement planning. They've done very well so far and want to be certain they power into the retirement they've earned. Let me guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Boss, I wouldn't be so awful careless about this shooting and cattle wrestling. Was I you? You don't like it, eh? Well, I was only thinking. I'll do all the thinking. You and the rest do as you're told, and we'll get somewhere. Where? You got a six-gun where your brains ought to be. This is the Voices of the West. I'm dressing up in style for in a little while. I'm gonna ride into town. And every cowboy pal I know will lift his demons over payday rolls around. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker DeFrance, and Todd Roberts. And by golly, I just got an image from that. You start out with the bull fiddle. <laughs> yeah. Did you see? Did you just see an old cowboy riding riding the herd, playing the bull fiddle? Oh yeah. I mean, they do it in Gene Autry all the time. <laughs> and pack horse, the pack Our guests, our guests are Tony and Susan Piazza. Tony's a uh, mystery writer. Susan's family goes back uh, seven generations in Los Angeles. Uh, family built the oldest remain the remaining oldest uh, structure in Los Angeles. Uh, it was complete 1818. So, with that, a uh, few moments left in the program. Uh, does Susan have anything going on and uh, that she'd like to promote? Um. Actually, do you have anything you want to promote? No. No, she's shaking her head. No. <laughs> I actually, I actually, I would like to put a plug through for the books, though. Of course, please my do. Book, do, it, do yeah, it. My, yeah, my books are available on Amazon and also uh, some are on Barnes and Noble. And they're available in uh, soft cover, ebook, 
as well as audiobook here. I have an excellent uh, producer, reader from uh, New York. He, he was a former actor uh, on Broadway stage. He was part of the original Phantom of the Opera. Wow. But he uh, reads the books and he also acts out all the characters. So it's How almost cool. like listening to. Yeah, it's like listening to the old radio shows. Does uh, he dress back up? Then. <laughs> yeah. That is way, way cool. So, Tony, I've got to ask you a question. I don't mean to pick a fight. Yes, you do. But <laughs> you lived in Los Angeles. You lived in San Francisco for many years, and uh-huh. you come from Italian heritage. That's so, right. what was your family's favorite Italian restaurant? And please don't Italian tell me your mama's, your Italian, <laughs> your mama's kitchen, or your Nona's kitchen. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, that would be my answer. Except it wouldn't be my Nona's. Okay. It would be my grandfather's. Ah, uh, okay. Grandpa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was actually such a good cook that he actually invited the uh, San Francisco Opera Company over, and they all pulling up in their limousines and stuff in front of the house, (laughs) and they all had dinner with him. So, uh, (laughs) how cool! It's tough to beat home cooked, you know, food. Yeah, no kidding. So, what what is your favorite spaghetti western? Yeah, there you go. I, you know the ones with Clint Eastwood. I, I do enjoy them. They're sort of fun, uh, I, you know, because they're they're so different in a way than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I don't know. It's just it was sort of Clint's introduction to really being becoming a big star. And uh, so, like the good and the bad and the ugly, and for a few dollars more, mm-hmm. they were fun, and I, I enjoyed watching. What do those. you think of Once Upon a Time in the West? I think that's one of the greatest movies, Italian or American. Uh, and that was what Henry Fonda, correct? Yes. And yes, Jason yes. Robards and Charles Bronson. And Jack Elam. Cardinal. And Jack Elam. Yeah. And Jack Elam. <laughs> and Keenan Wynn. And, and Woody Jack Strode. Elam. And Jack Elam, wow. damn it. You <laughs> <laughs> can't really lazy, do. sleepy eye. <laughs> That's right. Hey, he's the most beloved character in the American West. Come yeah. on. Hey, how many guys could So who did you grow up watching, girl? Tony? Well, I watched, who, who did uh, you grow up watching? Well, again, we had Roy Rogers. Yep. We had Gene Autry. A lot of those were the shows during uh, Sunday matinees and stuff. You used to watch those. Yep. And, of course, I always loved Maverick, uh, James oh, Gardner. Yeah, Anything he does, I just, you know, I think yep. it's absolutely terrific. Nichols. Nichols. So, yeah, that was a great and show. And, of course, Bonanza was very, very big during that time. Mm-hmm. And Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke was uh, very, very... One of the uh, greatest. And, yeah. Yeah, and uh, which did you like uh, better, the the half hour black and whites or the or the full hour color? Because they're both great. That, I would say the same thing. I think they were both great. A lot of them were based on the old radio show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, some of the scripts they just recycled them for television. Mm-hmm. And William Conrad, of course, was the voice of mm-hmm. Matt Dillon. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that show, and of course, William Conrad later on uh, worked for the Quinn Martin, which is the same company that I worked with on the streets of San Francisco, yeah. and he did the television sure. show Cannon. Mm-hmm. Cannon, yeah, yes. So. Well, and also he did uh, uh, he did uh, Mannix, and he did Barnaby Jones, mm-hmm. and I grew up okay. with his daughter Jill Martin. We went to school together. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yeah, and you know the thing. Yeah. This sort of sounds funny in a way, but you know when you heard Quinn Martin, you always thought it was two producers. Yeah, and right. I was so surprised yeah. when he showed up. And you know when he came on the set, you wouldn't think he was a producer. I mean, he was just sort of a very average, sort of low key kind of guy. And uh, yeah. I liked working for Quinn Martin. I really did. I think it was a great production company. You thought he was the craft uh, service guy. <laughs> One, yeah, one of his great other great uh, television series was uh, Twelve O'clock High. Yeah, I liked that show. It was a great program. Yeah, yeah. Robert Lansing. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, yeah, he was sort of the king of he was the king of producers. I think back, yeah. you know, back in our day, back in the sixties. Yep, yep. There was a lot of shows that he, he had, had the finger on the pulse. That's for sure. Yeah, he sure did. Well, Tony, he and, sure did. Tony and Susan, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this afternoon, well, we, and it, it, I mean, it's been great. It's uh, been a delightful hour. Yeah, I mean, learned a lot about uh, especially Susan the history, and, and oh. <laughs> I got to I got to delve more into Susan's uh, family's background there because yeah. I just love that kind of stuff that that old history stuff. Where Where are you guys living now, Tony? Well, we're in Santa Maria, California, okay. which is uh, between uh, Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo. 
Oh, that's pretty country. Yeah, it's it is. Gorgeous. Yeah, it is. We got to so go. So Harry and I took the train to yes. San Luis Obispo, yep. and then visit. we drove up to Pastor Robles. Yep. So uh, you know, you you just might have a knock on your door. Yeah, that's right. Have oh, the well, hey, the doors. We're always here. Make sure there's wine. <laughs> it'll it'll be around <laughs> supper time. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you for the. Uh, we pleasure. loved having you guys on. Yeah. You're great. Oh. Appreciate really it. appreciate it. Very much so. All right, that's it for this edition of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. 78, 79, 80-O's Alvera Street. <laughs> so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. 